Welcome to Curveball Defy. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Philip Barlow. Philip studied at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University and received his diploma in graphic fine art. In today's podcast, we'll discuss his career as a world-renowned artist with a unique style. When you look at certain paintings, you get to feel emotion and power and you're drawn into it because sure. of the, the colors, the motion. Right. And even with your work, it looks almost as if you're there, but you're in a dream. What is What are you trying to get people to see when they're looking at your work or what do you want them to feel? I, I find it, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an enormously challenging thing to describe because it's kind of this fleeting moment that takes place on a foreign street where it's wet and there are figures walking and the light from the surrounding neon reflects off the street and there's just something, there's just something I find enormously compelling and attractive about seeing that world slightly blurred because it's not defined. Um, and I guess my, my initial um, response is that there is so much design within creation. Like if I look at my body, I marvel every day. I went to the physio today because because of the nature of my work, I'm standing and painting all day long and it's incredibly, it's, it's grueling. Um, not, not as in a, an athlete running or a, 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 an American footballer getting pummeled every time he gets on the field and has, you know, bruised muscles. It's this continuous holding a brush in a place and how that actually affects my body. But coming back to design, I believe we're designed. We're not part of a chance universe that somehow randomly took place because if that was the case, why is there so much design? I could walk into a park right now. You could take a walk and go to Central Park and find flowers and find simple flowers that have this unbelievable stamp of design within them. And as brilliant as man is and all his genius, I mean, here you are sitting in New York. I'm on the, the southern tip of Africa and we can talk to each other. I mean, it's incredible. And there's, yeah. there's glass fiber enabling us to achieve this. But man in all his brilliance cannot make a simple daisy. Forget the rose. Forget the, the tulip. You can't make a daisy. and there's something enormously compelling and delightful about that. Um, and it's God-infused. It's God-created. It's, it's something that, that and the, I suppose the other thing as well is just how, how beauty, you know, it, it's kind of, you can have an atheist wandering along a beachfront and the sun's going down and the clouds are, slowly going pink and there's this this magnificent sight before him he's going to be compelled to to possibly take a photograph of it maybe not the reality of that beauty has somehow impacted his soul for him to have a moment of elation that that 
that does something inside of him. And that's, I suppose, what I'm wanting to try and achieve in some form or fashion with the work that I do that, you know, it's a, it's a moment of a sunset that just lifts you and, 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 and captures something inside your soul that says, yes, that's, there's something beautiful about it. I don't quite understand it, and that's okay, because <laughs> so much of life is not explained. It's not understandable. It's not, it's not you know, there's, this, there's a great um, American artist, Makoto Fujimura, who's, um, and he speaks about how this, we live in this utilitarian, pragmatic age, how everything requires usefulness. You know, if it's useful, then it's got value. And it's like, art is not that. Beauty is not that. You know, the love that I have for my wife when I sit across her at a table um, cannot be, they can't, there's an enormous value there, but it can't be equated to usefulness. It's almost like God has made this earth and, there's so much that's not useful. You look at the birds of the air, and there are thousands of species. You must try and come out here and go to the National Park. There's a Kruger National Park, which is an enormous park, and the birds are wild. They are the most magnificent. And, and why are there so many birds? There's just this mad expression of abundance within creation. And... They're useless. We don't need all of them, you know. <laughs> we could have three birds um, and call it a day, you know. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, but it's amazing. So. Yeah, so I wanted to ask, you see that in big cities and throughout the world, you see religion and stained glass. They're so closely coexist. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, it, it's amazing when you look at some of those buildings, especially in this day and age where, you know, nothing, I mean, except for maybe the Sagrada Familia in, in Barcelona, that's still being built and it's been being built for, I don't know, about 50 or 60 years. And it's still getting, I mean, it's the most amazing building. Gaudi was an absolute genius. Um, but I think it's, I think it had something to do with the decorative aspects of, I don't know, there's almost like there's something of glory about a stained glass window. And that, you know, if you look at a painting on a wall, it, 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 especially in a church that's two, three, four, five hundred years old, um, the, the light is never good from the inside. You know, you got to burn candles back then. So, that you couldn't really get it, but a stained glass window is just this. It's just it's got that that transparency, and because of that, it, it's just it's just because um, you know, generally the interiors are quite dark, so you, it's just got something of. Yeah, I think it was the decorative element, and 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 I actually don't know the history of what where stained glass windows kind of originated and why they were used but they yeah 
they're enormously effective within those spaces. Being an artist itself is a sacrifice because it's not the traditional path. So what, what right. are some sacrifices that you made early on in your life that were able to help you with the sacrifices that you had to come? Yeah, good question. It's, 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 it hasn't been always an easy road. God, thankfully, has been faithful and good to me. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So it's like, listen, this is it, dude. I'm not going to become an accountant because I'll never get a job or, you know, I'm going to stuff up some people's papers so badly that they're not going to use me. Well, I traveled Europe for two and a half years um, in my early 20s. And there I, I mean, I had this entirely romantic idea about what it meant to be an artist. And I, I, I traveled Europe. Um, well, I actually live in, lived in England for a year and then, then traveled Spain for six months. And, um, um, and then ended up running out of money very, very quickly when I got to Spain because I left England with like 60 pounds, $120 in, in those days. Um, and I ended up begging and it was, it was like, but I had this whole romantic idea. I had to suffer to then become a great artist. I mean, it's such a ridiculous idea, but I, I believed it. Um, wow. and then I started sort of drawing in the streets and doing portraits of people. And, and it was amazing because like, after I begged like third or fourth time, I sense God saying to me, listen, I've given you a gift. I mean, that's, I've given that to you. So, so use it. So I started, I just literally started drawing and, and I'd, I'd sell my drawings on the streets and slept on beaches and stayed in parks and, um, and roughed it. Got, almost got mugged a couple of times, but never got mugged. And, and I suppose that was quite sacrificial in some way because it was like, I, I don't know what else to do. You know, I wasn't a guy who like generally, you know, young, young, young professionals will go to London, they get a job, pretty good job, earn some money, save it, and then go travel and have a great time. But I just, I just didn't get there. Oh. So I just traveled and, and, but I had an, I, it was incredible. I mean, the experience was unbelievable. And then I came back and ended up getting married and, uh, my wife was working at the time and then slowly but surely we were like, okay, well, I want, we had kids and she, we decided we wanted to homeschool our kids. Um, and, and she decided, well, and we, we both decided, okay, well, you can give up your job and I'll, I'll carry us as an artist. And then, then 2008 happened, which was the crash. So everything went up and, 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 yeah, I mean that's not my wedding ring, you know. Sold, sold my wedding ring for gold so I could get dinner, you know, that sort of stuff. Oh. Um, but I don't know. I just, by the grace of God, I never went hungry, and we always had enough in our pantry to go. My wife would just, I mean, she's got a gift when it comes to cooking. I'm just so thankful for her. Um, she would rustle something up, and it would be that was dinner. But it was basic, but we had dinner. And, and, and thankfully now it's, 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 it's quite different. But yeah, those, those sacrifices, I didn't really think about it. You know, you just kind of like, oh, well, this is it. 
you know, we got to make a plan, sell some gold. Okay, boom. Um, get some money together, get some food. And, 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 I, and I guess within it all, you just hope that traction will happen again and people will buy work again and, um, and, and you, you, you'll sort of carry on. So, yeah. It's clear to see that the location of your artworks and are very based on the collections. You have a collection where it's on the beach. You have a collection where it's night cities. What is it about the locations that you choose and how do you scout for your specific location? Every scene has got something reflective. So cities have something reflective. Uh, cities have lights. Cities have neons. Uh, beaches have waves that at particular times of day will break and, 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 and reflect the, the curvature of the wave the appeal of what takes place when a, when a camera is, is blurred slightly, the bokeh, which is what the Japanese would call the, the circles, um, which is what I find enormously appealing and, and that's what I head for. So those that's pretty much the reason why the city and, and the beach are, have been sort of environments because people say to me why don't you go into the desert or why don't you go into a forest and take i'm like well it's, there's not much reflecting yeah uh, so yeah in the a, desert you have when it gets really hot where you think there's water but that's more of like your eyes that see that way when you take a picture i don't know if it would be have that same effect plus also one thing that is very interesting about your work is that in your work there are it's people in their natural element People aren't naturally in their element in the desert. The desert, the beauty right. of the desert is that it's yeah. very unstill. There's always wind. The sand yeah. is blowing from side to side. If you put a person there, it's going to feel a little bit staged then. One yeah. thing that is unique to your work is that the people seem like they're in their natural state and you're right. just taking a, a photograph of them at that right time of day where the light right. is shining and everything right. seems to be in place. And one thing that makes your work stand out better than others, I believe, is the fact that it's very transferable to social media. And people look at it and it's like, oh, is the picture done loading? Why does it look like this? What do you think right. the power of social media has been able to do to help you with your career? Yeah, like I say, it's been, it's been amazing to, to, um, to see what, how, how much it's generated and, 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 and continues to generate. Because you've just got this audience. You know, 20, 20 years ago, I'd have to take slide film of my paintings. Um, it's to say I had 10, 10 slides of my work, sent it to a gallery in New York, London, Paris, uh, Sydney, and, and Tokyo. And then I just wait. I'd have to wait. I put them in an envelope, post them there, and wait for a reply. I might get a phone call, I might get a fax. I might get some form of communication or nothing at all. Now, I can post a painting on Instagram. It, it's not, it's one of my great frustrations. Is like, like I look at a painting in my studio and then I take a photograph. I'm like, really? Is that it? Is that, is that the best I can do? And it doesn't matter what quality of camera I work with or shoot with, that screen 
only remains. So there's no sense of scale. You can, I mean, that's why I stand next to a lot of them because I'm like, okay, if I stand next to it, then you can actually get the size and the scale. But it just, it's, it's, it's one of the frustrating things about it is that you can't, you can't smell the oil paint. You can't get a sense of what that paint is doing because there's something extraordinary about oil paint. It's been around for 700, about 700 years, 600, 700 years. And it is one of the most incredible discoveries of men because it's just, it's literally oil and pigment suspended on a surface. And you can walk into a museum in New York, in Europe, in globally, and you can find 500, 600 year old paintings that look as though they were painted yesterday. It's just, but there's something about the, 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 the luminosity and the texture and the, 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 the feel of paint. Paint has this, oil paint has this, it's almost like food. It's just, it's, it's, I find it appetizing. It's got this, it's, it's got this, um, it's, a, it's luscious. It's got a luscious kind of quality about it. That's just fantastic. I love it. But that's what you don't get on Instagram. Um, and, and just coming back to, you know, saying, uh, go and take photographs and make these paintings and how social media has been enormously helpful. The challenge of my work is trying to capture those images where there's an effortlessness and a grace and a beauty with the figures that walk, you know, to, to, to try and find that, that millisecond of moment where the figures are looking uncontrived, the feet are landing well, the, the, because if I, if I took some models, if I took five or six people and, and, and told them to walk, they will never walk with the, the elegance and the effortlessness that pedestrians normally carry. So, so to find those moments is just like, well, it's becoming progressively challenging. But when I do, I'm just fireworks. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Philip, for coming on to today's episode. We had a lot of insight of what it's like to be an artist, as well as the life of an artist. Uh, thank you again for coming on. And we'll put in the show notes of uh, your Instagram so people could find your amazing work, as well as some of the previous, uh, some of the galleries that you're working with. And if you have anything you want to say to the audience, now is your chance. Cool. Well, if there are any artists out there, um, take it up as a career. Um, yeah, I just like to encourage you that there's nothing, if it's in you, and if you have that creative spark that, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is alive and, 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 and or maybe, maybe not alive to the degree where you hear it loudly, but it's a whisper, just follow it because it is an enormously rewarding, satisfying, delightful career. Um, to have and and if if you <laughs> if you if you are and have those creative juices within you nothing else is going to satisfy you um, doesn't matter how much it pays 